Okay, good evening, everyone. <clears throat> it is at the time of this recording, uh, January 10th. We are closing in on less than 10 days left in the Donald Trump administration. And I'm recording this podcast here to talk a little bit about that situation. Now, trying to do anything political in the We Witness Your Story podcast is kind of a violation of what this podcast is about. This podcast is supposed to be looking at stories that uplift us. And when I delve outside of that format, it is something that's kind of problematic. But I feel that in this podcast, you can't just talk about the angels without letting the devils on stage to play. Because what's the point of an angel if there aren't devils to fight back against? So in this podcast, we witness her story, Ulysses S. Grant. We are going to talk about a time in our nation's history in which Ulysses S. Grant had complete power to go hunt down the Ku Klux Klan. Now, this story has been lost or looked away from or not talked about, which is a real crime because it's a time in our history when we didn't tolerate white supremacists. At the very time that white supremacists, a literal war was fought against white supremacists. But it's been a piece of history that has been buried for 150 years because it doesn't fit the uh, rules of capitalism. And the rules of capitalism are pretty clear. The rules of capitalism are if there's an area or a market to sell something to somebody, you sell it to them. And you don't much care about whether they are good people or bad people as long as their check doesn't bounce. That's what you care about. So capitalism has created a morality in our country where we don't care about what a person's individual beliefs are. So the nece- that necessitate uh, uh, easy for me to say, that makes it necessary to bury someone like Ulysses S. Grant. And that's why I wanted to do a We Witness Your Story on Ulysses S. Grant. So I hope everybody's week was a good week. Uh, my week was... An interesting week. Uh, we're in week two of the 2021 calendar, soon to be week three. Now, I guess my way that I tabulate what week it is, is that I basically look at things and go, well, if if you're in the middle of the week, in other words, if January 1st happens in the middle of the week or during the week that you're in, that's week one to me. So some people will call this week two. I'm calling it week uh, week week three at this point of 20. Uh, 21. Some thoughts about the week or the year so far. Um, I think that I've been pretty focused on the things that I need to do as a human being and as a person. I, I'm pretty confident about the things that I'm doing right now and I'm up to. Um, but it's, it's hard. It's hard when you start a new year because um, years change. Uh, uh, feelings that might have been accepted 15, 20 years ago are now no longer accepted. And in 15, 20 years, it'll probably flip back the other way. That's just sort of how life kind of proceeds. So I'm just trying to take this year everything in stride. Um, 
you know, it's, it's a hard thing to do, but, uh, for those who know me, I'm a real big advocate of David Allen and GTD. I highly, highly, highly recommend that. So if you're looking for some sort of productivity system or something that's out there, I highly recommend GTD as something. Um, obviously uh, a few days ago we had a major uh, violation that took place or what a lot of people are calling a violation which is uh, the Capitol got overran with make america great again supporters uh, chiefly known as supporters of donald trump this was a pretty horrifying thing to watch in real time happen and it's not so much that I'm a person who's like, oh my God, they're they're storming the Capitol. This is just terrible. I've been to countless protests. I think protesting and making your voice heard is frankly a very important part of democracy and life. I think that when it crosses lines into physical violence or it crosses lines where literally five people got killed, um, that's that's horrific. And, you know, right now we're, we're dealing with a situation in which thousands of people are losing their lives uh, every day due to COVID. And at the middle of all this, we have a rally and a protest that you would think that this rally and protest would be about um, getting, uh, getting, getting aid or getting $2,000 stimulus checks or doing something along those lines. None of it was about those things. What this was about was Donald Trump refusing to admit that he lost an election. You don't have to look much deeper than that. And many people have found a sort of anti-hero in Donald Trump because he is completely off the rails loony. Like, he is completely out there. There, the, The emperor, so to speak, has no clothes. Um, but what Donald Trump did, that that's something that's very scary and very grateful for, I think in a lot of ways we should be grateful for, is that he exposed how fragile this whole system is. And it is exceptionally fragile. And if somebody comes along, and somebody will, that's more competent than Trump, it, it could be bad news. And I think that when we look back in human history, if we look back to a time and place in our own history... You know, in 1837, there was a massive collapse that took place in this country, which was called the Panic of 1837. Now, before I bore you to sleep, we had a collapse just 12, 13 years ago, the Lehman Brothers stock market collapse of 2008. Many people lost their jobs, lost their livelihoods. So these collapses are real and they tear people down. So what happened in the interim, or what what happens in between those two things, is that in 1837, the economy collapses, and basically in 1861, you get to a war. Well, in 2008, the economy collapses, and we're right on that trajectory to another civil war. So America is literally facing, right now, as as I I, uh, do this podcast at 3 a.m., a very difficult choice. And I think it's important to approach the situation with a certain measure of calmness, a certain measure of analytical detachment. But I also think that there has to be some real structural changes in this country or we are going to face a second civil war that will put the first civil war to shame.
this week on Break It Down segment of the We Witness Your Story podcast, I am really struggling on how to feel about the tech companies censoring Donald Trump. Now, I want to start before anyone gets any uh, political illusions. This is not a pro or anti-Trump piece. Insofar as I think Donald Trump is one of the worst presidents we've ever had, I think that he is completely off his rocker. I think that he should not be anywhere near a nuclear code. I did not vote for Donald Trump, and I don't think he should be president of the United States. So, for all of you people who are never Trumpers and you hate Donald Trump with a passion, you think that what he's doing is out of there, bless your heart. This is not picking a fight with you. This is not something, a podcast I want you to get all blown up about and be like, oh my God, he's excusing Trump. On the same token, if you're somebody who's listening to this podcast who is a pro-Trump person, please stick around because this is not anti-Trump. It's not anti-Trump insofar as, or I don't feel anti-Trump in this one respect. I don't think that Twitter and Facebook should be censoring him. Now, with that said, the Break It Down podcast is perfect, or the Break It Down portion of this podcast is really perfect to examine this issue. Because what I just said there is probably pretty controversial. How can you be anti-Trump and not pro what Facebook and Twitter is doing? Okay, that's a good question. And I don't know the answer to that. So we're going to try to answer it during this. So let's start with the five W's that we do every week in, the, in this segment. Who is involved? Well, let's start with the human beings. Jack from Twitter, Mark Zuckerberg from Facebook, Donald Trump. We should also uh, throw in there the whole political establishment of D.C. at this point. Okay, those are the folks that are involved. Okay, what is the conflict about? Okay, well, the conflict that we're dealing with is that Twitter and Facebook are scared to death, at least publicly, that Trump will incite another riot. Five people are dead, and they are scared that Trump somehow used in promoting this march on January 6th, he, um, they're scared that he uh, will use their platform incorrectly to incite another riot. There's also another measure to that, though. Trump has raised the profile very high of Section 230 of Big Tech. And what's Section 230? Basically what Section 230 is, and I'm calling Section 230, that's probably not the correct name, but Section 230 is this. Essentially, if you and I are on having, having a back and forth, and I come to your place with my car, and I'm on Facebook and we're, we're going at each other, and I come to your place with my car, and I, I'm so upset over what you wrote, and I rear-end your car. And the problem is I don't have insurance. Okay, a good lawyer will look at the situation and go, well, Toby doesn't have insurance. He just defamed this person. He did something. Now, I, I'm using a very extreme case, but I'm just doing this as an example. A good lawyer will go, well, who, what, what platform do you write the words in? Do you write it in a book? Well, if you wrote a book, then there's editors involved. And if editors are involved, that means there's a publishing house. If there's a publishing house, that means there's money that came from sales of other books. What we're going to do is we're going to sue the publishing house 
for what Toby said. Facebook and Twitter don't have any type of control. So basically the law is that if something happens online that slanders you, and I, I, used, I used the accident thing, which obviously if you go out and you, you commit an act of violence, you're on your own. But if somebody slanders you or says something defaming to your character, which basically has happened right now as I speak on Twitter and Facebook, you can't go to Facebook and Twitter and say, you handled this wrong, I am suing you. You can't do that. Because of Article 230. Article 230 says that Twitter and Facebook are not an editorial or a publishing company, meaning pretty much they are not in control of the content that gets produced on those sites. With that stated, both Twitter and Facebook in recent years have taken extraordinary steps to do that very thing. They essentially editorialize. So if you are a left-wing person, this goes for Google as well, if you're a left-wing writer, you will have noticed that your traffic to your site has probably gone down in recent years. If you're a right-wing writer, you've been deplatformed. So in this brave new world now, and I, I threw Google in there, and I should have included them in the what, but Facebook and Twitter have a massive, massive amount of um, power to restrict your access and they can do it for any reason they want. There's nobody that's going to come in and say, you shouldn't have done that. So while we look at the Donald Trump situation, we go, yay, Donald Trump is off those websites, yay. And now the website, uh, the, the, the social media site Parler is going to be deplatformed here likely pretty soon. Now that these things are happening, what we're seeing now is something extremely dangerous to society. We are seeing an encroachment of these big tech companies. If they can do this to the President of the United States, they can do this to you. We are seeing an encroachment of these big tech companies on our civil rights and liberties, and that's a major concern. Now, when did this happen? This happened in a transition of power. Now, if I'm uh, uh, Facebook or Twitter, I'd say, well, President Trump did something extraordinarily awful and people are dead and he shouldn't have done it and we should have stopped and we've tried censoring him and he keeps routinely breaking the rules of conduct and we're doing it. Okay, I understand that argument. I disagree again with the argument. <laughs> Donald Trump, look, Donald Trump may be a bad human being, but there are convicted felons in prison who get the right to use a telephone <laughs> to call somebody. They get the right to use things even if you disagree with it. So this is crossing a dangerous line, a much more dangerous line, because essentially Twitter and Facebook have both now, uh, they did it with Alex Jones previously, but now they're doing with the President of the United States. They're going to control what you see and what you feel, and if what you see and feel is deemed by them, answerable to no one, offensive, that's going to be a problem. So why is this happening? Right, So we got the who, we got the what, we got the when, the why. Why is this happening? Well, very simple. Donald Trump, there's two reasons that this is happening. The first is the public reason. The public reason is understood. Five people are dead. Donald Trump did incite those people to riot. It's on him. I totally agree with that punishment. I think that there should be something. But the why is because he's threatening the very foundation of big tech. These companies are worth billions of dollars, billions of stock, uh, stocks. They are, they are huge platforms. They are not just some tiny platform. 
he has threatened that by raising the profile of Article 230, and I'm calling 230, maybe call it Section 230, but he's, they're, th- they're threatening it. And so they're threatened at this point. So they're going, they're going, they're not going to come and really uh, say, "Well, he's the president; we have to hear him." So we've got our basics down. So why did Trump do all this stuff if he knew? Donald Trump does not believe in any sense of the word. This is not 4D chess. He literally, and I'm using the word literal. I'm not using it like figuratively. I'm using the word literal. He literally believes the election was stolen from him. This is not Donald Trump trying to put on a show, folks. He literally believes that the election was stolen from him. So I'm going to say this again because I want you to understand the importance of this, okay? Donald Trump believes in his heart of hearts that he won the presidential election. Now, he has filed well over 25 lawsuits to try to overturn the results of the uh, November election. He's filed a ton of lawsuits. At this point, each one of those lawsuits has gone before a judge, has gone before a court, and the judges in very different states and very different reasons have said this is BS. Now, you would think that this would discredit Donald Trump in the eyes of his own party, furthest thing from it. Donald Trump is a more beloved figure than ever, and he's got many Republicans right now questioning the very soul and purpose of being in a country that's a democracy with Democrats and people they disagree with. Thus, what happened on January 6th. So how should we feel about this? How should we feel about Facebook and Twitter doing this? And more to the point, if, as I've already alluded to, I disagree with it, what should happen? Well, for starters, I don't think that Facebook and Twitter or Google should any longer have the right to ban people off their platforms. That should be stripped from them. That should be heavily regulated by an international body. I'm not saying that people shouldn't be responsible for their conduct. God knows this, they should. But it should be an international body that reviews it. Twitter and Facebook and the whole industry should put together an independent party to police this. We are at a point where these platforms are so huge, they can easily create an independent third party to do this. That's what should happen. It's like uh, the the motion picture industry when they're getting uh, nailed by parent groups and religious groups who are freaking out about, you know, oh my God, the kids, ah, the children, oh my God, if they see a boob or a penis, they're going to go absolutely bonkers. Oh, by the way, we're going to show 15 people getting mowed down with bullets. That's fine. That's okay. We, we, we can show absolute death and gore. We'll, we can show some maniac in a hockey mask slicing somebody's head off. But, oh, you see a booby. Oh, my word. <laughs> That's some tough stuff. So what the movie industry did was they got together and they said, listen, what we're going to do is we're going to have a ratings board. And we're going to decide, even though we're funded by the industry, we're going to decide independently if a movie is what it is. If it's an X-rated movie, if it's R-rated, if it's NC-17, whatever they are going to do, they will make the decision. And effectively, they made the decision for what our values are. The movie industry did this. They said, listen, you know, if you're going to go to a movie, 
You can do it. Now, one good thing about the movie industry is said, listen, if you're going to go see an R-rated movie with your 10-year-old, you can go do it, but you have to bring, you, they have to be with an adult, a paying adult. Because, uh, look, if you're a parent, you can go ahead and make the choice of what your kid watches. So the point being that I'm getting to out of all this is what should we do with big tech? And it's pretty simple after what I just said. Big tech on their own shouldn't be deciding who and what should be on their platform. Now, somebody will say, the libertarians will say, well, Toby, didn't Facebook and Twitter put out the money for it? Yes, they did. Yes, they did. They had startups and they had investors who bought in and they built a platform and they take on all the costs and the expense of networking. And that's precisely why they should not be the people deciding any longer who gets banned off their platforms. That needs to happen from an outside party who can look at something objectively and say, okay, you know, we're going to do what we need to do. With that stated, since that doesn't exist, them banning the President of the United States, while it may sound like, oh my God, they're, they're stopping another terrible thing happening, what they're really doing is depriving me and depriving you of hearing from the President of the United States. Of the United States. Now somebody will say, well, he can go somewhere else. It's not a public right. It's not a utility. Well, it should be. Facebook and Twitter, frankly, are basically utilities at this point as far as I'm concerned. It should be. But even beyond that, he's still the President of the United States. We elected, as a country, we collectively elected a goofball. We elected somebody who had no business being the President of this country. And he won because they were so disgusted by the other candidate that they voted for him. Okay, it's done and over. That's not even up for debate any longer. But the issue that is up for debate is this issue of what should we do about this? What should we do about this idea that the big tech country companies can just ban somebody? I don't believe that that serves anybody's interest, especially when they're banning the President of the United States. Now, Joe Biden will not be banned with whatever tweets he does or Kamala does. He won't be banned. So I want to finish up uh, this little wrap here and just say this. When, I, when you break this situation down, it's pretty clear that big tech now is an editorial board and should be stripped of their 230. I agree with the president on that, that um, section 230. With that stated, the way that they can get out of this dilemma is by having an independent third party actually do the policing. Now, I say independent. I'm okay with Facebook and Twitter and Google and whoever else paying for those companies, uh, that, that board, and putting that board together. I understand it's probably going to be very close or very similar to it, to, to what is going on currently. But it's what we need to have because the fact of the matter is, is that if these companies are allowed to censor people the way they are, they are actually in violation of Article 230, and that is a major problem. So oftentimes when we do the We Witness Your Story podcast, um, we I try to find people who maybe their story has been overlooked. Previously we did Elizabeth Stanton, we've done Local Heroes. This week we're doing somebody who isn't overlooked in a lot of ways because in most towns, unless um, you're like Portland, Oregon, which this guy's statue came down, which I heartily disagree with. I think that was terrible. And I'll tell you why. Um, Ulysses S. Grant, we're going to do, and he's well-known, but not well-known as he should be. He's an enigma 
once again, capitalism has erased what, uh, what, what Ulysses S. Grant did for this country. When people think of U.S. Grant, they think of, they think of somebody who historically is so amazing, he's almost unreachable. When you make a statue of a human being, you essentially make them unreachable. You make the human being unreachable. And Ulysses S. Grant, more than any other president, has been made thoroughly unreachable. And it's a damn shame because there's a reason why they made statues of the guy. And it isn't because of whatever misdeeds he did in terms of to people of the Native American tribes or to the, to, um, uh, to the, the Mexican country or any other place. The man is in every sense of the word a true American hero. Now I'm going to explain why I feel that way. When Ulysses S. Grant became president in 1868, okay, he became president of the United States. One of the things he did, him and the quote-unquote, I hate this term, the radical Republicans, what they did was very fundamental. He went out to destroy the Ku Klux Klan. Ku Klux Klan was a very simple group. Very simple. What they were was they were people that... Um, they were former Confederate soldiers at the beginning who got together to drink and commiserate. Pretty soon, though, they got pretty upset because they were seeing freed African-Americans start taking jobs or taking more political power in the South, and they were not going to let that happen. Most of the stereotypes about the South can come from this period because the wave of violence and terror that the Ku Klux Klan did was insane. It was terrible, to the point that they were eventually called the South's Invisible Government, or the South's Invisible Empire, I believe was the title. So what do you do with a situation like this? What does a president do? Well, if you're U.S. Grant, you mobilize every part of the government that you can to destroy the Klan, and that's what he did. So thoroughly did U.S. Grant destroy the Ku Klux Klan, it won't rise again for another 50 years. Now that doesn't mean, that doesn't mean that he was perfect. We have a problem, and that's why I do this, the, these podcasts. We have a problem in this country, a fundamental problem in 2021, and I don't know how we're going to have human progress as long as this problem exists. The problem is, is that we see only portions of people and we make judgments on whether they're a hero or a villain. And I, by the way, I'm being hypocritical here because I'm, I'm saluting U.S. Grant. U.S. Grant's wife was a cross-eyed daughter who was a slave of a slaveholder, of an adamant slaveholder. Her herself had slaves up until the American Civil War and thought that it was just fine having slaves. By the end of it, she had become an abolitionist in her own way, but... During that time of growth, she was every bit the system that she was fighting against. So what do we look at somebody like U.S. Grant? What do you take? He also fought in the Mexican War, which was, in all accounts, one of the most corrupt wars we've ever had. Part manifest destiny, manifest destiny. They couldn't figure out the economics of its time, so they just decided to invade uh, the rest of the American continent and say, well, we're going to go sea to sea, and now it's... California Malibu beachfront property. I guess I bring this up just to say that when you look at a tiny part of a person's history and you say, well, 
they're a terrible person. They're a racist. They're a sexist. They're a homophobic. They're this, that, or the other thing. You are missing the full point of the development. You have to judge people in their totality. Grant did whatever awful thing you want to say. Grant did it. There's been things that have been lodged at him. He did it. Whatever you want to say about Lincoln, he did it. Whatever you want to say about George Washington, he did it. These were people who did awful things to human beings in retrospect. But even at the time, I'll go so far, people weren't stupid. And people had lost all morality. They knew what was going on was wrong. But they did it. So it's here that I end this podcast. Because we witness Ulysses S. Grant's story, not because he's some clay, marble, or statue can be torn down. We witness his story because he went after the Ku Klux Klan. His reputation is in shatters. And uh, uh, there's, there's high schools and there's things named after him, but they could have been named after, you know, Tom's Deli down the side of the corner. We forget why he was so special. We forget why he was a hero. We forget why these people were heroes. We forget and we take their worst parts of them and we just chuck the rest. And in 2021, I'm going to tell you folks, I'm not doing that anymore. I'm not going to cancel somebody because they said something stupid. They need to be brought into account. Their crimes need to be addressed and figured out, whatever they are and whatever body, whether legal or moral, they need to be doing it. They need to, they need to make amends where possible and let's move on with our lives. But we don't want to do that, do we, folks? It's so much funner to cancel and destroy somebody's life, isn't it? Well, regardless of whether you think it's fun or not, we witness Ulysses S. Grant's story because U.S. Grant fought the KKK. And we bring it to 2021, this is the exact same thing that we need to do here today. We have white supremacist organizations who've been empowered by Trump and they need to be gutted and they need to be prosecuted with every well-being. I am 100% behind this. Now, somebody will go, well, Toby, didn't you just do a little rap on big tech and censorship and all that sort of stuff? Yeah, I did. The two things are not in violation of one another. I can be worried about big tech's overreach at the same time wanting to see white supremacist organizations be dismantled. They're not incongruent to each other. You can have one next to the, each other. There's no moral or political thing that says the government has a responsibility to its citizens, to the people of color, to the people in this country, but also to other people, also to white people, also to other people. I don't want to live in a country where that crap is going on, where people can be, people can be systematically harassed and told they aren't good enough, and told that when they have uh, legitimate gripes about policing or different aspects of society, when you have people who've been put in cages or put towards deportation, you can say fake news and you can say whatever you want, but the fact of the matter is still the same. These things have happened. And they've happened, by the way, under Obama. They're going to happen under Biden. Until a problem is solved, it isn't solved. So, Ulysses Grant, we witness your story.